turn to 1 Samuel 30, I'll be reading out of the New King James Version. just feel like it's incumbent upon us. And you know, the older you get, the more you start thinking about your legacy and you start thinking about the, the Timothys that are in your life if you're a Paul and you want to train up the next generation and you're passionate about where this church and the kingdom of God is going after the Kevin Wallaces of the world are no longer preaching. And that's what we want to do. We want to build this church and we want to build it on the sons and daughters. As a young boy, uh, I think I was 11 years old and my mom and dad are here today and I'm grateful that they're here. I'm honored that they're here. I told you my two daughters are here and, and my wife is the hottest woman in the building. You can call her Stephanie or you can call her Godly Hottie. She answers to both. I think I was 11. My dad resigned from uh, re coaching at Lee University and took the job at Bradley High School as a principal. Was he your principal? Any of you, Dale R. Hughes was your principal? You're going to understand this story very well. So we moved from Peerless Road, lived at 2317 Peerless Road over there by Wendy's. I remember when they built Wendy's, it was like when we got Longhorn. Yeah, I remember when we got Longhorn, we, sucks. we got Wendy's, it was the same. Wendy's, we got a Wendy's. And uh, we moved out Okoy Street off Blythe Ferry Road into Windsor Estates on Waverly Drive. And I was 11 years old, I think, and uh, I wanted to meet our friends and, and got to know the boy across the street from me. Went, went left Stewart Elementary and transferred to North Lee Elementary. And I <clears throat> didn't know anybody. And uh, one night we decided we were going to camp out. And, you know, back then we just put a tent in the front yard. That was camping out. So I'm about 30 yards from my front door. And the boy across the street who was a great guy, one of my best friends to this day. But there were two boys that had moved in from California. And they were going to be a part of our camp out that night. And I don't have to tell you, it just seems like Californians are a little further down the road than Tennesseans in their physical and, and uh, mental uh, maturity and uh, uh, language. <clears throat> so I'm 11 and I start hearing words I've never heard before and things being said about girls I didn't understand and <clears throat> it's about midnight and I didn't know what they were saying but I knew it wasn't good. So I packed up my bag and grabbed my pillow and I went knocking on my door. About midnight my mom said, what's wrong? And I said, I don't know mom but they're, they're saying things they shouldn't be saying. It's not good. And I, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable. I'm, I, I don't know what to do. And she said, well, I'm so proud of you. Come on in. Welcome back home. I'm so proud of you for not participating in that. And Dale R. came down the stairs. And he said, what's going on? I said, Daddy, those boys are saying bad words. And they're saying things they shouldn't be saying. And I, I just wasn't going to stand for it. So I left. He said, let me tell you something. He said, you go right back out there and you stand up for who you are. You will not be run over by anybody. You will, don't you participate, but don't you say it and don't you walk away from it. You don't start a fight, but you don't ever walk away from one. On the ball field, on the ball court, or in a tent 30 yards from your front door. So there I am, betwixt and between, if, if I participate, my mom washes my mouth out with soap. If I leave and, and come home, my dad's going to take his belt off. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. So I'm between a rock and a hard place, and I'm going to conveniently leave that story right there and let you figure out what happened. 
But David was between a rock and a hard place in 1 Samuel 30 because, like I, he wanted to please his dad. He wanted to please his father. He wanted to please his heavenly father. He wanted to do what was right. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. I want to read the entire chapter, if you'll stay with me, because I think it's important that we don't tune out. Many times when we start reading Bible verses, we tune out. But if you tune out, you'll miss something. So please read with me in the New King James Version. Now, it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day. Say third day. That the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire, taking captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were, lifted, who were with him lifted up their voices and wept. They wept. Until they had no more power to weep. One translation says, until their tears dried up. One, one translation says they wept until they were exhausted. They wept. David's two wives, Ahinoam and Abigail, had been taken captive. And David was greatly distressed because now the people spoke of stoning him. Because the soul of the people, of all the people, was so grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So now they're talking about stoning him. They're going to kill David, okay? But David strengthened himself in the Lord, so he wept. Now he strengthened himself in the Lord, so now he's worshiping. His weeping became worship. Then David said to Abathar the priest, Please go get me the ephod, bring it here to me. He brought the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord and said, Shall I pursue the troops? Shall I overtake them? And he, God, God answered, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Underline that, recover all. Not some, all. David went, 600 men were with him in the brook of Asor. They stayed, and there were those who stayed and left behind. David pursued with 400 men, for 200 stayed behind because they were so weary they could not cross the brook. So 400 go into battle, 200 stay back. You with me so far? They found an Egyptian in the field, brought him back to David, gave him bread and he ate and let him drink water. They gave him a piece of cake of figs, two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten his strength, this is the Egyptian, the strength came back to him for he had eaten no bread and drunk no water for three days again, three days and three nights. David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? He said, I'm a young man from Egypt, servant of the Amalekite. My master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. You see a pattern developing here. We had made an invasion of the southern area and the territory which belongs to Judah in the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Can you, the Egyptian, can you take me down to this troop? The Egyptian said, Yes, but swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of the master and I will take you down to this troop. When he brought him down, there they were, spread out all over, eating, drinking, dancing, great, of the great spoil which they had taken in the land of the Philistines from the land of Judah. David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled 
So David recovered all, say that, all, that the Amalekites had carried away. David rescued his two wives. Nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil, or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered it all. Skip down to verse 26. Now when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to his friends, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. And there are 13 cities mentioned that received the spoil, the excess. 13 cities. So let me take you back to what was happening. David, not yet the king, but no longer the shepherd boy, was in this tough place. Because, see, everyone recognized and everybody knew how great David was. He'd been prophesied over. He'd done things no one had ever done before. He killed a lion. He killed a bear. He killed Goliath. All he did was win, 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 no matter what. And he never lost until Ziklag. And he's out running all over the country. And, and every time he fights a battle, he pleases his king. For every time they win a battle, they gain ground. They get new territory. They're adding to King Saul's excess and all the territories that they're gaining. So he's serving his king. At the same time, the king no longer loves David. See, Saul loved David when he was the underdog. Saul loved the David that killed Goliath. Saul loved that, that David had, had served and was a man after God's own heart. He loved him so much that he promoted him to the royal household. He wanted him in his household. He promoted him to commander over all the armies. But what happened is in, in chapter 29, the chapter right before this, the people started gaining more and more affection of David. And the more affection that they gained of David and the more they started promoting and talking about David, the more jealous Saul got. Anybody ever had anybody get jealous? You know, we have to be careful sometimes... People don't want to celebrate our successes. Sometimes they, they, they get jealous when we have a win. That's what happened with King Saul. So here he is. He's, he's in the royal household. And in chapter 29, it says that the people said, well, King Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. An exponent of ten times. So in the people's eyes, David was becoming greater than Saul. And it was the prophet Samuel who said, he's going to be king one day. So he's already been prophesied that he's going to be king. Now Saul's jealous. jealous. He was, you know, he was the hero when he was doing all these things for Saul. But David continued to serve. Why? He just continued to serve. Kicked out of the royal house. Sent out basically as a vagabond. Take 600 men out there and go get us more territory because I'm so jealous of you, Saul speaking. I'm so jealous of you. I no longer want you in my house. In fact, I don't even want you around me anymore. You got to get out. So David goes out and all he does is continue to serve. There's a lesson in that. Sometimes we have to serve in places that are uncomfortable. Sometimes we have to serve bosses that are unfair. Sometimes we have to serve people that are messed up. Sometimes we have to serve the very people that kicked us out of their house. David continued to serve faithfully and again all he did was win until Ziklag. 
So why would God allow a bad thing to happen to such a good person? We hear these questions all the time. Why would a loving God allow that to happen? Why, why, do, why do bad things happen to good people? To that point, there wasn't anybody that was any better as far as worshiping and loving God than David. David loved God. David was a man's man. David was tough. David was bad. David was a leader. But David, David would, would kill a lion and a bear with his own hands. He would kill a giant that no one else wanted to fight. He would bow up and get tough. And then he would go grab a harp. <laughs> I mean, at least get a bass guitar or a drum. But he would go play a harp. And he would worship. And one chapter says that he danced so excessively and so extravagantly that he embarrassed his wife. She said, you're embarrassing me. He said, you think that's bad? I'll be more undignified than that. I'm going to dance like David did because I want to worship. So why would God allow this to happen? This doesn't make any sense. And, and why would King Saul turn his back on such a great servant? All because of jealousy. So David is faced with this situation now where the very men that's serving him, his team, his team that has followed him, his undefeated team that never lost, won a state championship yesterday. The Bradley Barrett's won a state championship. I see Coach Floyd back there. We got one coming in football too, sir. You just hang in there. But all he did was win. Until Ziklag. Could you imagine doing your job, doing everything you're supposed to do, doing it the right way, outworking everybody, preparing and winning and doing everything that you're supposed to do on your job and coming home one day and your wife is gone, your, your husband is gone, your, your kids are gone, not just gone, kidnapped. The thoughts that would run through your mind, what, what are they doing with my two daughters, with my wife? God, I, I'm doing my job. I'm, 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 I'm serving you. I've got a heart for you. And I'm serving this king who hates me. And I, my house is burnt to the ground. It's gone. Everything I've ever worked for, everything I've ever loved, every person I've ever wanted to be around, it's all gone. That's where David was. So David turns back to his squad, his team, and they cried until they could cry no more. The Bible says they wept exhaustively till their tears dried up but then those 600 weeping with him turn around and say we're gonna kill you because you took us into this mess could you imagine your team turning on you in that moment your king hates you he's jealous of you your god that you've done everything for and served your whole life all of a sudden doesn't seem to have your back anymore that's where david was the prophesied king, King David, who was supposed to be preparing to be the king. But here's the difference. See, David was born in Bethlehem, but he was destined for Jerusalem. See, David wasn't where his final destination was yet, and neither are we. Let's understand that. We're in a, a, a journey. This is a process. Life is a process. The Bible says this life is but a vapor. We're being prepared for eternal life. We're being prepared for a life with Jesus in glory. But in this moment, David was born in Bethlehem, 
destined for Jerusalem. So what happens? Why was he in Ziklag? If he was born in Bethlehem but destined for Jerusalem, why in the world was he in Ziklag? Because his, his enemy had become the king. The enemy was attacking him, sending him out into battle. So he's in Ziklag. He experiences all this loss. And his weeping turned back to worship. He said, go get me the ephod. So after he'd wept all he could weep, and that's part of the grieving process, all of you in this room have lost somebody. There is no one in here that's never lost a loved one. And all of you probably in your time, somewhere, somehow, have grieved. And I would dare say that all of you have cried tears in grief, pain. It's very real. But what do you do after you've wept all you can weep? Do you stay in that moment? Do you grieve the rest of your life? Or do you turn your weeping into worship? See, David turned his weeping into worship. And when he turned his weeping into worship, it all turned around for him. I like to say it this way. In modern day times, I would look at it and say, instead of turning our backs on God, We need to turn back to God. A lot of people never get over. A lot of people never recover. A lot of people never get back to where they were because they can't get over the hurt that God allowed them to give them. But when you take your weeping and you turn it into worship, that's when you win. See, here's what happened. David says, hey God, I'm exhausted. I've wept, but you know my heart. And you know how much I love my wife. You know how much I love my kids. You know how much I, you know how much I love my team. God, can, can we go get it all back? God said, I got your back. Go recover it all. So watch what happens. They go in and they go, they go after these guys and they kill everybody. They're all dead. Every one of them's dead. They get so much of their, they get all their stuff back and they get so much stuff back that they take it back. Now, 400 of them went into battle. I told you that. 200 of them stayed back. They got all the plunder, took care of all 400 that fought, the 200 that didn't even go into battle and fight and had so much left over, they took care of 13 cities with all of the excess. It's like Job who got double for his trouble and then some. Right? So when they won, watch what happens. And this, this is what is applicable to us today. See, the enemy's not happy. So he's attacking you. The enemy doesn't just want your personal possessions. The enemy wants your integrity. The enemy wants your character. You know what the enemy's doing right now in some of your lives? He's looking at you and saying, you know, April 15th's on the way. You don't need to claim that. Nobody's going to know the difference. Nobody will ever know. That that was a cash. See, he creeps in like that. He creeps in when you're reading a devotional on Facebook and something pops up and says, click here. The enemy attacks you because he's not pleased with you. The enemy's not pleased that you're in church today when it's rained nine out of the ten Sundays that we've been open. I started looking at the forecast on Thursday and I was like, really, God? Really? Again? Nine out of ten? It was a hundred. It is not ninety. A hundred percent rain today. But the enemy's not pleased that you're here today. So you're under attack. We have to understand it. We have to understand that we're always, he's, he's looking for our self-esteem. He's telling you that you're not good enough. 
He's telling you that you can't do it. He's talking about anxiety. Pastor Mike prayed that you would relieve anxiety. We preached in Athens, Georgia not long ago. Did three services. None of the services ever ended. Because at the end, I felt like the Lord said, pray for people who are fearful and have anxiety. They would line up all the way out the aisle to the door. The 8 o'clock service never ended because we were still praying for people. And I would look up and the worship had started. And the line wasn't finished yet. The 9.30 service hadn't ended. And I'm looking and people were still lined up out the door. The 11.30 service finally ended and there was nobody. But it never ended because there's so much fear and anxiety. Don't believe me? Turn on cable news. It's designed to divide us. It's designed to scare us to death. That's how they get ratings. But David encouraged himself. The Bible said David strengthened himself in the Lord. So he wept. He worshipped. And then he won. And here's what I would like to say, and, and this is, again, in fear of my upbringing and my raising, but in the 70s, uh, the Valley Girls. Anybody remember the Valley Girls? There was no OMG until the Valley Girls came. When I was a kid, I just remember, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. That's how the OMG emoji started, for those of you that are young. And I can remember my holiness mama who plays the organ saying, that's taking the name of the Lord in vain. And I'm not sure that it's evolved into that now because half the preachers I know say it and, and text it and, and so on and so forth. But here's what I would say to you. When, when I see this chapter and when I see this verse, if you'll look at it with me again, I think it's verse 15. David says to the Egyptian, can you take me down to this troop? And the Egyptian says, swear to me by God. Now, another slang, I don't think, not in vain, but slang. When we were kids, there was an emphasis statement with those two words. It was, we will win by God. You will, you will this, that, and the other, by God. And here's what I would say to you today, Mom, don't be offended. <laughs> See, when he wept, I think there were three stages of this recovery. Well, obviously, he wept, he worshipped, and then he won. But here, here's the other three stages. I think when, when the weeping was occurring, I think he was saying, why, God? Why? Anybody ever been there before? Why, God? When my brother passed away, I remember sitting in a church in Georgia, in church, saying, I'm mad at you. I don't know why you did this. You didn't have to do this. You could have healed him. Why did you do that, God? Why? I'm in church, crying out, why, God? Why? Anybody ever been there? Am I the only one? But when he went to worship, I think he went back to saying, even in this moment, God's a good God. God's a faithful God. God's been good to me in the past and, you know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. So he goes from why God to you're still my God. You're still my God. And I don't understand this and this hurts and I've suffered loss. I've lost my job. I've gone through a divorce. I've, I've got a wayward child. My, my kid's on drugs. Maybe I'm on drugs. Maybe I got an alcohol problem. But, but you're still my God. You're still faithful. But then when he said, go get it. 
Go recover it all. Could you imagine God telling you to go get it all back? Go recover all that was taken from you from the enemy. If you go, I've got your back. You go recover it all. Here, here's the way I like to look at it. we got some law enforcement people in here. I know uh, Carl, they, they're, they're in the, in the uh, police department. And here's, here's what I would say to you. When they go into a, a kick a door down and go into an a, a apartment or a house that's occupied, that's dangerous, the last thing they say, the one that's going in looks at the other one and says, cover me. Cover me. Will you cover me? Do you have my back? If somebody shoots at me, will you shoot them? Take, will you cover me? Could you imagine God Almighty saying, I got you covered. I got your back. Go on in there and get it, and I'll, I'll get it all for you. I'm not only going to give you all your stuff back, I'm going to give you enough to take care of everybody and 13 other cities. Can you say amen? My brother Kim Stone and I were talking about this the other day, and he said, he said, he said in modern day terms, he said, David had two wives. Kim here? He said, David had two wives. Back there. He said, David had two wives. And it made me think, you know, back then that was okay. I can't imagine having two wives. But I got the best one. But um, he said, he said, could you imagine when it says plunder? Can you imagine all the shoes? I said, I can't because I got a closet full and I got one wife. But when we think about this and you put it in your own terms and you look at it through the lenses that you live through, we just need to understand it this way. When you're doing what pleases the Lord, the Lord spoke it to me this way. Sometimes you'll see curveballs. See, the enemy's going to throw you curveballs, and the enemy's going to try to trip you up, and the enemy's going to throw hurdles in front of you that you've got to jump over, and you're going to see challenges that you've never seen before. The closer you get to God, the more you're going to see adversity. You can't listen to an interview on TV now with an athlete that doesn't talk about his team overcoming adversity. It's like they've all got this script. How did y'all become champions? Well, we overcame adversity. That's true. That's true in life. You want to win in life? You want to be successful in life? The more you pursue it, the more you're going to make people jealous. The more you pursue God, the more the enemy's going to attack you. You're going to see curveballs, but here's what the Lord will say to you. Only great hitters see curveballs. If the enemy's not attacking you, you need to look in the mirror. Because, see, I've learned that smooth seasons unsettle me. When things get smooth, I start asking myself, am I not doing what I'm supposed to do? Am I not serving you, God, because things are really peaceful and smooth? And I'm not irritating the enemy right now, so what am I doing wrong? We talk about it in sports all the time. You know, the team at the top's got the target on their back. If you're pursuing a life with Jesus Christ, you've got a target on your back. Because the enemy is not pleased with you. And the more people you tell about Jesus, the bigger that target gets. And the more this church does in the community, the bigger that target gets. And don't dare put a bumper sticker on the back of your truck that says RTTN because somebody's going to attack you. Because the enemy's not pleased with what's going on here. And I got news for him. 
We're not done here. This will not be our last location. This will not be the next building that God chooses to, to give us and, and that we fill up and lives are touched and impacted. We're just getting started. So sit on that curveball and wait on it. And when it comes, knock it out of the park. Because here's what happens. You are destined to win. David's destined to win. David was prophesied he was going to be the king. He had to go through some valleys. But he learned there was victory on the other side of those valleys. And that's what I want to tell you today. There are victories on the other side of whatever valley you're going through. When you face challenge A and you're victorious, challenge B is on the way. You'll never be life free, live a life free of challenges and hurdles and curveballs. And thank God. That just means we're attacking the enemy. So we go from why God to my God to by God. By God, we will win. How? By God. How do you get it all back? By God. Not in slain. Not in vain. But all glory to his name. By God, we will win. By God, you will be victorious. How? By God. Not why. Not my. By. By God, you are victorious. I want to close this way. When I see people that are, are being blessed, when I see people that are being successful, when I see things going well for people, I've learned to ask this question, what did they have to go through? My Lord, what, did, what, what ziklag did they have to go through to get to this level of success and this level of blessing that they're achieving and living right now? What did they have to go through? And, and sometimes I look at it and think, for them to have achieved that level of success and received that level of God's blessing, I don't know that I could have gone through what they had to go through. It had to be. See, the, the gain has to be somewhere relative to the pain. That's why we say no pain, no gain. And I've learned to ask, what is that? What does that look like? What does it look like when, when somebody has achieved and received so much? And would I be willing to go through that same amount of pain to receive that amount of gain? 77 days ago today, it was Christmas Day. I, like you, was happy and joyful and with my family. We'd had a incredible brunch my wife just laid out a spread it was it was awesome and we did the symbolic exchange of gifts you know and, and at my age I, I I got a couple packages over here but I, I just I'm tuned in watching my kids open their stuff you know I just want to watch their reaction when they get that thing that they wanted and I'm so joyful to be able to give that to them so blessed and thanking God that that we're able to provide and give them a gift and have Christmas and have a nice meal. And we had just finished all that and had retired to, to the couch. And uh, I, being the only male in the house, got outvoted three to one and there was a Hallmark movie on. Between that and that Chip and Joanna Gaines, I can't win for losing phone rang one of 
one of my best friends was on the other line. He said, Rich, pray. He said, Dustin's life lock just went off and said, abrupt stop. It's Christmas Day, and I don't know anything about LifeLock. I don't know what that app is. I, I knew that it wasn't particularly great because I, my friend called me. And um, I prayed. Lord, I pray that you protect Dustin and Brittany and those three boys. And God, let them be okay. And whatever abrupt stop is, maybe it's just a traffic light. And went back to watching the Hallmark movie. About 30 minutes later, phone rang again. And this time, Brian Beard said, Dustin and Brittany didn't make it. What? They didn't make it. What do you mean? Rich, they did not make it. What, what, what about those three boys? Well, they're life flighting them to Children's Hospital in Chattanooga. We jumped up and put our shoes on and jackets and sped to Children's Hospital to be with those three boys. If you're from this community, you probably remember that night very well. Christmas. Celebrating the birth of Jesus, giving gifts eating meals as a family, spending time with our family, the people we love to be with, teacher at Walker Valley, not anymore, my business partner, Dustin, not anymore, three boys under the age of seven, fighting for their lives, and in that moment, and preparing to be a part of that funeral and trying to pastor through things that you just can't understand. Became very acutely aware again of the losses that, that we've had. The losses that you've had. The losses of family members, the moms and dads, the brothers and sisters, the cousins and aunts. And maybe, maybe some of you, probably a lot of you, were in some way attached to the Dillard family in that moment. So you go through those emotions again. Why, God? Why? How? Why? But I know you're a good God. And I think it's incumbent upon us to do this. We'll never understand some of the things that happen. But God would say, it's not your job to understand. It's your job to trust. For it's through trusting that you triumph over trials. Well, Richie, this, this story doesn't make any sense. And this is kind of a hard place to close because they're never going to recover at all. Oh, but you would be wrong. You would be wrong. Because let's return to what we started out saying. This life is but a vapor. We're being prepared for eternity. And let me tell you something. The next time those three boys who are thriving, by the way. I check on them all the time. They're doing great. The next time they see mama and daddy, they're going to see the face of Jesus. Stand with me.
They're not going to recover a white colonial style home in Meigs County. They're going to recover a mansion with a driveway paved with gold. They're going to walk through pearly gates. They're going to see God Almighty sitting on His throne. They're going to see their mom and daddy with a, with a glow on their face. That dad and that mom of each of those two people will see their child again. If you're in Christ, you're in the kingdom. And it's forever. And today, there are some of you that you're not sure if you're ready. There's some of you that you're still moving past the lost. You, you've done your weeping. You're trying to worship, but you, you hadn't just quite, not quite there yet. You're still trying to get back to the worship part. And you can't win until you worship. You can't turn your back on God. You've got to turn back to God. You've got to quit asking why God and accept the fact that He's my God. And then you've got to be confident enough to say that by God, I will win. By God. We will win. How? By God. My God is victorious. Our God is the greatest. There is no equal. He can do anything. We can do all things through Him. You can recover. You can recover all. You can recover everything you've lost and then some. It may take a little bit of time. But be faithful. And trust where you don't understand. So with eyes closed and heads bowed, if in any way, shape, or form God's tugging on your heart right now about anything in your life that you've refused to let go, you're not a bad person. You're not a bad person. You're a hurt person. And God today wants to heal that hurt. Jesus died for that hurt. Jesus took all the hurt Himself. He took all the pain Himself so that you could have all the gain in this day and time. Richie, I don't know. I don't understand. I, I, I'm doing the best I can. and I'm in church. That's progress for me. I'm praying. I'm, I'm doing the best I can. But I need a deeper and stronger and more intimate walk with God today. If he's tugging on your heart at all, would you raise your hand? Let us acknowledge the fact 